This is Ham College, Episode 64, for April 30th, 2020. Ham College is brought to you by ICOM and the new revolutionary IC705 with optional multifunction backpack. And by hamstudy.org, a great way to study for your next amateur license exam. Welcome to another episode of Ham College. I'm Professor Thomas. And I'm Dean Martin. And it's good to be back with you again tonight. Boy, tonight's show is going to be a little different than actually we had even intended before we started recording tonight. This this was a pleasant surprise. We thought we would have um, someone come on and talk for 10 minutes and he was just so interesting, we wouldn't let him go. Yeah, kept him for pretty much the whole hour. Yeah. But uh, it's, it's a very interesting hour. It is. And before we get into it, though, let me mention amateurlogic.tv slash chat. You know, anytime we're doing a, a live stream, you can go right there and uh, check in with everyone there and and just, you know, like kind of play with the pencils on the bench or or whatever you want to do there during the show. <laughs> there's there's people having a good time in there. And what do you always say? Yeah, if we're if you if you're in the live stream and you're not watching on the chat, well that's not what I always say, is it? If you're watching the live stream and you're not in the chat, you're missing half the fun. Yep. But it's up to you to what? To determine which half is missing. The- which half? Okay. That's all on you. Yeah. If we're not streaming live, uh, there may not be much activity in there. Probably not. Um, but there, there's a good time going on in there during the shows. Well, you know, some things are changing because of this whole pandemic deal. And uh, FCC made a statement about uh, remote testing. And so I decided it'd be interesting if we talked to Richard Bateman, KD7BBC. He was uh, instrumental in creating some of the software that they're using for that. All right, let's do it. Richard's from uh, hamstudy.org, and uh, we thought we'd try to bring him on this evening. You know, there have been some changes with the FCC and the VE testing with the uh, virus stuff that's going on, and they recently approved remote testing. And... uh, Richard had a hand in that, and I uh, thought it would be kind of interesting to talk to him for a few minutes. Appreciate you joining us, Richard. Happy to be here. Um, what what role did you play in the remote testing stuff that's going on? It's just getting started. Well, so first, uh, I'd like to clear up a, a really common misconception, is that, like you just said, that the FCC has recently approved remote testing. Actually, that rule change happened in 2014. Uh, so it's actually been legal for quite a while. The difference is that there were just not any 
uh, approved methods of doing it. Well, uh, Anchorage uh, VEC has been doing it, and AWRL actually ran a couple uh, in a in a different way. Um, but the rule change actually went in quite a while ago. I've actually talked to uh, Larry Polk at W5YI about it a, n- a number of times over the last uh, five or six years. But what kind of happened that got all of this started as far as my involvement uh, is with all of the people that were kind of anxious to have a way to continue doing testing while they had the coronavirus stay-at-home stuff going on, uh, sort of started banding together and creating some groups. And uh, I got drawn in from a couple different directions on those. Um, and to be honest, at this point, I'm not even sure I remember all of the different kind of uh, vectors that, that, that pulled me in. But we ended up creating a base camp group where I think there was somewhere around 30 to 50 of us that were just all kind of brainstorming about how to do this. And, and we broke down the problem of what the really hard parts were. And what it turned out was that what most people were thinking were the really hard parts are basically not the really hard parts. There's stuff that software I wrote six years ago does that we've been using for in-person uh, testing. Uh, the hard parts were figuring out things like uh, video conferencing in such a way that you can prevent uh, cheating and properly monitor it as per FCC, FCC regulations. And uh, paperwork is actually a much more difficult thing than you would think. And that's yeah, actually sure. the probably the biggest time suck right now is, is the paperwork. And I've been working uh, pretty much 16 to 18 hour days for about the last month trying to uh, update my software to, to, to solve some of those problems. But at the same time, there's a whole group of people uh, that mainly at this point are using a Discord server. You can find a link to that on blog.hamstudy.org. Um, and uh, and there's, there are people who are doing remote exams every day, have been for close to a month now, uh, and just refining the process, improving it, finding you know, better tools. Um, you know, the, the examination is, is, uh, is kind of the easy part at this point. It's, it's finding the way to coordinate everything and the scheduling and the paperwork and getting the signatures and everything. Okay, so, okay, so this is actually going on full bore right now. Well, full bore in a limited number of groups, uh, mainly because it's extremely time-consuming right now. So which VECs are you aware of that are already doing this? I know the W5YI group is, for sure. So as as far as we know, the first fully remote uh, amateur radio license exam was the one that I did on, uh, I believe it was March 26th, and there was that's, that's the one that kind of blew up all over Twitter. Um, and uh, that was done under W5YI, and he actually participated in the video conference so he could see what was going on. Um, and then after that, uh, it didn't take too long before GLARG got involved, and uh, and they've probably actually done the, the highest number of remote exams. They've been uh, they've gone for for some weeks that they basically were doing ten to twelve hour days of, of remote exams back to back. And uh, AWRL is actually officially using this. They've released a couple of different uh, announcements lately, talking about the NE1AR group uh, who's using our software, and that's uh, kind of not as tightly associated with our group, but connected into our group. Um, and uh, we've been talking with some other VECs, but nobody else has been willing to commit to it. Um, I've tried to keep 
all parts of the initiative that I've been involved with kind of VE agnostic. Uh, I feel like these are tools that should be av- made available to whoever is willing to use them. Um, yeah. And you have very interesting kind of different characteristics of VECs um, that, that make things difficult for, you know, more difficult for some to adjust in ways, in, in these kinds of ways than others. Uh, AWRL, for example, released a an announcement that many people took to mean that we don't have any remote exams, we have no plans in doing any remote exams, and we will never do remote exams. And on the day that they did that, that that, 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 that uh, announcement came out, and I don't remember exactly what the wording was, but that was how a lot of people understood it. The day that they released that, there was a remote exam pilot going on from an AWRL team approved by Maria Sama, who's the, I'm probably mispronouncing her name, but who is the, the head of AWRL VEC. Um, and so AWRL VEC themselves have actually been very interested, very supportive. I think it's just, it's such a big group that the, the news and the understanding in the organization is not always kind of coherently making it from one place to another. And they're still trying to n- narrow things down, kind of nail things down. Because the one thing that we don't want to do that could happen is if everybody just jumps in and starts trying to do this without taking the thought and the planning and, and everything that uh, that those of us who have been doing it have done, uh, we could end up with the problem that a lot of people have been concerned with, that it would cheapen the kind of the, the examination procedures and, and – uh, negatively impact the uh i'm not finding the word i'm the integrity of the exams yeah, um, yeah you definitely want so to be we, careful with that yeah and, and and that's you know we've we've spent a lot of time uh thinking about things and and there are actually uh we've got an entire i mean they're there's they're drafts so they're still going under you know undergoing revisions but we've got i think three different uh kind of manuals written up at this point one for the applicants one for the volunteer examiners and one that is specific to using Zoom and some of the tools that they found with Zoom uh, that that they've made it possible to do a, a little bit more, get uh, Im- improve the throughput and the scheduling of the system using some of the Zoom stuff. Um, but we also, like, we're not tied directly to Zoom. We're not tied directly to, even to exam tools is currently the only software that we've got that, that gives the uh, exams but uh, the procedures could be done with other software if somebody else had software that, that solved all the problems. Sure. So I've so got a question. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, George. Yeah, it d- just occurred to me. So I'm assuming it logically the VE can only test one person at a time. You, you can't do multiple people like at a, you know, a traditional uh, exam session. Is that correct? So right now, that's that's at least mostly correct. Um, so there's kind of there's kind of this realm where you know the, the 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 trouble with practice and theory is that in practice they're the same, but or in, in theory they're the same, but in practice they're not. You can tell I've been up too long for too many days in a row coding. Um, in theory, you could probably have. I think you could at least have each VE monitoring three applicants and have it with a total of nine going at a time. Uh, so kind of each VE has primary responsibility for three. And if you could see them all, you had, probably need a, a large monitor. Uh, I, you know, while they're actually taking the exam, 
Um, I think that that's probably plausible. That might be a little too much, and we'll have to do experimentation if we can ever manage to find software. But that's the, that's the challenge, is that in order to do this properly, you really need to be able to see not just a webcam, but their full desktop as well. So we have them share their desktop, we have them share their webcam, and then you do a 360-degree look where they have to show the front of the computer. You have to see everything around. It needs to be in a room that has a door that can close. Um, if anybody comes in the room during the exam, the exam is invalidated uh, and they have to start over again. Or, I mean, that's kind of as per VEC uh, decisions. Um, but you can't, there, there really isn't any, v, any video conferencing software that we've found so far that can do that in such a way that you can actually have multiple app, uh, applicants on the video conference at the same time on the same video conference because even you know some of them will let multiple people share their desktop but then they could see each other's desktops and you can usually only see one at a time so you can't see them all at the same time so we have in practice we have in some cases managed to have one person monitor two or three different uh things at a time uh if they're not the main one uh, running it and they do that by actually using multiple devices, usually. Like, they'll have an iPad over here and a laptop here and a desktop computer over here. And uh, and if you can join three video conferences, um, then you can probably monitor because, I mean, you don't have to be staring at the same person the whole time. Trust me, I've, I've now done this. And staring at somebody's face for 25 minutes while they're taking an exam <laughs> is really difficult and awkward to do. Um <laughs> And you would be shocked at just how difficult it is not to let any hints as to how they're doing show on your face. So we've had to turn off the, our, our own video while doing that. Uh, so in an ideal world, I'd love to see much better video conferencing options, and I may have to develop them once I finish these other higher priority things. Um, there's some open source projects that I think could be adapted to, to give us that. But... Um, but with what we have right now, what you just said is pretty much correct. You can pretty much have three VEs handle one applicant at a time. And so what the more successful uh, and ambitious groups have done, uh, like there was actually Glarg ran a session the other day where they had uh, somewhere around 37 to 40 uh, applicants in, you know, who took the test in one day, in one session, um, and the way that they did that was they were utilizing Zoom and they had breakout rooms. And so they'd have somebody come in and somebody would assign them to the room. And they discussed in, ch in, in another chat window so that they'd know where to put people in order to let them get through things as quickly as possible. But, uh, but it's still a very kind of awkward, difficult process to do just because of all of those logistics. And then you get to having to get the, the signatures on the 605 form so right now, I think most of them are using Adobe Sign because they have a 90-day trial, and I'll have the I'll have digital signatures built into our software long before that runs out. But that means that you have to put the 605 in, and then you've got to uh, set the, where the signature fields are and send them to the applicants to get signed. And then you know it's like those you know digital signatures are a, a very common thing. They're not complicated. They're not hard, but they're not really. The, the systems aren't really designed to collect that many signatures from that many people in a rapid way. And then to get them all back together and put them together in a way that you can digitally send those to the VEC 
And, uh, you know, so it's, it's a very, it, it is actually a very effective process and it's working great. And if there are any VE teams who want to join, uh, blog.hamstudy.org, the currently the, the most recent, uh, blog post there at the top, there's kind of a list of steps. And I've been trying really hard to get out of the way of all of that. Um, and so there's a team of people on this Discord chat server. Uh, Discord, for anyone not familiar with it, is is kind of like a, it's similar to Slack, like a new IRC. Um, and uh, there's people there who can set you up. We've got a sandbox site that's a different database, so you don't break anything if you make mistakes and stuff and they can give you access to that and teach you how to use it and and there have been a lot of people joining and and getting up to speed over the last week especially it's people are are very anxious to do this um so it's it's coming it's going to be bigger honestly to me i'm uh, just as much excited about uh how these changes are going to affect us once we can go back to doing in-person exams as well I think having the option to do remote exams, even if we don't usually, is going to be great. But uh, just as important to me is is having the option, uh, finally, we've got VECs who are allowing us to do digital signatures and do all the paperwork digitally. Uh, that's something I've been wanting to do for 10 years. Um, and, uh, and we're getting some more widespread uh, acceptance of the software through the need to do you know, remote stuff. But it's it's all going to benefit just as much all of our normal processes moving forward as well. So honestly, to me, that's almost more exciting. Yeah, that, that's, that's very cool. The, so everything is done remotely. The VEs are all can do it from their home. Every tester is from their home. Nobody has to come together at all, right? That, that is so cool. Um, and your software, you... You wrote the software that's doing that's handling the testing itself. Is that right? Which pieces did you did you guys create? Yeah. So, uh, kind of a little known fact: a lot of people know about hamstudy.org, um, especially if they watch this podcast. Uh, but I actually wrote exam tools before I ran. I wrote hamstudy. Um, I got permission from W5YI to build our own examination software because we wanted. Our test session, we have a lot of people coming through and relatively few VEs. Um, And so, and my father-in-law runs our local session. So we wanted to improve that. And I got permission to build my own software for that. And so I built that first. And then it's like, well, I've already got this testing software. I may as well make practice test software. And it, you know, grew from there. And then I've kind of gone back and forth between the two, building the software. But uh, the current examtools.org software which is what we're using for administering the tests, it was written as a exam session manifest, or, uh, management piece. And it was intended to be an in-person system. So it is web-based, but the intent was that you would still, everybody's there in person. The VEs, uh, in fact, one of the challenges right now is that you have to remote control the computer in order to put in some passwords and stuff. But these are passwords that change every session. So it's, you know, key loggers aren't, aren't a real concern there. But, um, but yeah, so it's got computerized tests. And then the software also actually even supports uh, grading with a camera, like with a bubble answer sheet. Um, and so it's intended to manage a, a, an in-person exam session. Uh, tracks manifests, tracks, you know, generates the, the 605 forms pre-filled out and everything. And 
verifies phone numbers, helps people. It's got a you know an online registration system on hamstudy.org slash sessions. And so we already had all of that. I mean, that's it's been year, there for years. I've been trying to get people's attention to look at it, and, and mainly only W5YI has has really uh, given me the time of day on it. Well, now uh, you've got now you've got their attention. <laughs> now I've got their attention, and uh, and and so I'm not sleeping because I'm working on fixing all the problems with it that weren't important two months ago. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, so it's like everything to do with managing the exam. Uh, that's all in exam tools, and the parts that are not there right now are the anything that is very specific to remote. So we don't currently have the um, the digital signatures piece in, although that is coming. Um, I'm hoping within the next week or two. Um, I'm actually hoping sooner than that, but we'll see. Um, and uh, and if. I'm able to do everything that I kind of dream of. I, I would like to have a, a video conferencing solution all built in as well and just have that all kind of an integrated thing. But but exam tools is intended to be just a tool for managing an exam session. And so it worked out very well for uh, remote testing because, you know, it's, it's just web-based. So as long right. as you're able to do the other parts, uh, you use whatever video conferencing solution gives you the tools you need. You could probably do it with Skype. I'm not totally certain of that because I'm not certain if you can share desktop and video at, uh, adequately well. Um, right. And we strongly recommend recording them as well, just so that if there are any concerns with the integrity of the exam, that way you can go back and review it, or if you know the yeah, VEC can review it and such. But I mean, really, when it comes down to it, if you do all, if you follow the processes that we've developed. Um, and when I say we, I'm probably taking credit for a lot of very hard work from other people uh, in that group that you can find on that Discord server that I was talking about. Um, I honestly think that the procedures are actually more, it actually has better integrity. It's more verifiable than most in-person sessions. You've got you know fully random exams, a different, uh, different exam for every applicant, uh, which is something that most exam sessions don't have. You've got uh, full records. You know who started and stopped each exam. You know exactly what questions they had. You can go back and check uh, all of that data, and it's all already digital. Um, and so if I can, can get the VECs to, uh, to give me the interfaces that I would need to do so, the goal is to have it to the point that we can digitally submit the exam sessions straight to the, to the VEC. No paper has to be sent anywhere, and it just sent immediately. And uh, oh, most of that much. is done. It's just a question of kind of cleaning things up and wiring things together. Oh, cool. Um, well, I know we're running kind of short on the time that we had with you, but uh, how can people find out what, who's given sessions? Is there some type of a schedule around that you know of um, so they can get started with remote testing? So a lot of people have been wanting to get their ticket and haven't been able to go right now because of it. Well, I, I wish I had better news. Um, the good news that I have is that you can find all of the remote exam sessions. You go to hamstudy.org and click on the session, uh, find session button in the top right corner or just hamstudy.org front slash sessions. Um, and any sessions that are running with exam tools are going to be listed there. That's the good news. Now, the bad news is that uh, our most successful exam session 
which took all day and involved something like 10 to 15 different VEs. No, I think it was more than that. I think it was more like 20 to 30 now that I think about it. Um, only managed to handle like 37 to 40 applicants, which means that even with more people, you know, ramping up until we can improve, you know, get this new version of the software out and, and, uh, and really improve the throughput on this, the exam sessions are going to fill up really, really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, please read the descriptions on those, please. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll say if they are accepting applications and the biggest frustration that I'm getting back from the VE teams who are currently doing this is that people don't read the instructions. And so they'll sign up without scheduling or they will sign up when it already says this is invitation only. I mean, people are so desperate to do this. They're just like signing up with everything, hoping that one of them will work. And the main thing that they're accomplishing is they are slowing down everyone else because they're just creating noise instead of instead of working with the session that we, you know the the system that that's being put in place. Well, I so have, the one. Oh, go ahead, George. Yeah, I have one more question. Um, uh-huh. Someone has asked me, and this was I can't remember if it was Nigel or or who asked, but uh, someone from out of the country. You know, it you was can, Nigel. Yeah, you can go to a U.S. military base. And take uh, an exam for an American license, you know, right right there on a military base. And he, he did that in England. And he was asking the question, will that be possible for people in other countries to take a remote exam? Now, I know you probably don't know the answer to this, but I was just going to throw it out there because it was a question someone had asked. This is actually a question that we've been asked a lot. Um, so it is, I, I, I know a lot about it. I'm not sure if the answer is necessarily known. So there's a few different challenges there. Uh, the first thing is that we're probably not going to be uh, promoting that initially. Um, and so just because, uh, you know, we're going to tend to want to prioritize all of the people here in the U.S. who are wanting to do it. Although I personally would make an exception to that for servicemen overseas. Um, point number two is that according to FCC regulations, you do have to have a valid mailing address in a, an area that the FCC regulates the, the license, you know, the, the radio spectrum in order to apply for an amateur radio license in the United States. So basically you have to have a U.S. mailing address if you want to get a U.S. license. Um, now there are a lot of ways that people can do that, but that is a requirement. Uh, and then the other thing, uh, well, point number three, I guess, would be that it will be up to the VECs how much they allow that. Uh, so ARRL, W5YI, uh, GLARG, LARL, if they ever decide to allow, uh, you know, or, or any of the other ones. The, uh, those are the ones that we've talked to somewhat, although uh, LARL so far has not been uh, quite ready to jump on with us yet. Um, but uh, they will decide a lot of those details. But the other problem is that anywhere, anyone who is in the European Union, I have not had time to go through and figure out how to fully comply with the GPDR. Uh, and so I cannot legally allow anyone in the European Union to sign up on my system because if I did, then I would be in violation of all of that. Um, and that actually brings up another uh, interesting point that you don't normally think about is that uh, any children under the age of 13 
I cannot legally collect their information without having a signed form from their parents oh. because of the COPPA Act. Uh, and yeah, so, that's a good point. so we've we've actually had to come up with a form on that. Um, so there's just there's a lot of on these edge cases. There's a lot of really interesting problems that when you just think, oh, online exams that should be easy, and then when you start getting down into the details, there's a lot of places where we have to say that seems plausible. We'll figure it out later. And that's, yeah, that's the biggest thing with, with international exams. Very plausible, but uh, but we'll have to figure it out later. From what you're saying, I was going to ask about hardware requirements for the remote testing, but I guess that really depends on the VEC group, the VE group, what they want to use for their video conferencing. So I'm assuming your testing software is probably any modern browser, Linux, Windows, Mac, whatever. Probably fine. iPhone, Android. I mean, I don't think that we. I don't think any of us would be comfortable uh, administering the exams on a uh, on a mobile device uh, remotely. Uh, but yeah. uh, we've we've been using you know the the cheapest Kindle Fires to give some of our in person exams uh, because you can kind of slowly build up enough of those to, to run in a, a an in person exam session. Um, mm-hmm. So the software absolutely works on all of those. It's very low requirements because um, it's just a, it's just a test. Um, but yeah, yeah, the video conferencing there are it it depends on on what you're using. And currently, I think most of the teams, if not all of them, are using Zoom, uh, which means you need to have a computer capable of doing video conferencing, capable of doing video, um, capable of sharing your desktop. Um, and uh, and you need enough bandwidth for that. Um, and uh, I was I was talking to now I forget his name. He's the head of the Anchorage VEC um, a week or two ago about the difference in how their system works versus our system. Um, and uh, there are a lot of things that in there. The, the biggest difference is that they require a proctor to be on site. Um, and you can read more about that looking it up from them. I'm I'm not the best person to tell you about how they do things. But uh, one interesting point about that is that their video requirements are not as high. And so they can actually do their video stuff over a dial-up connection because they don't need the high definition that we need in order to to ensure exam integrity because they have a person there to ensure exam integrity. So uh, rural areas that don't have Internet or don't have good Internet may have a hard time with this. And also people who have a really old computer, it, it may be a problem. And I think over time we will improve things. But um, and, uh, and and for those who are criticizing Zoom in the in the chat, we are looking at different options. Uh, my personal hope is that I can adapt Jitsi to do not just the basics we need, but everything. Uh, but unfortunately, I can only work so many hours a day. I have barely seen my two-month-old daughter uh, in the last week, and. Uh, Nobody so far has stepped forward and volunteered to adapt Jitsi to our needs. If anyone knows somebody who would like to, I would love to talk to them. <laughs> um, but uh, so it's just a question of time, really. Uh, this is – it's out of the bag now, and it's going to keep growing. It's going to keep improving. Uh, I personally don't think that this will ever replace in-person testing. Uh, but I think that it will be a very important addition to the, the tools that we have. And some VECs and some VE groups will be very interested in doing this, and some will have no interest in doing it at all. It's, it's not a process that's for everyone, and it's not, yeah, it doesn't see, fit every case. I could see it being great. Uh, I don't th- like you, it pr- wouldn't replace 
in-person testing after all this stuff is over. But I could see it being great for people that are shut-ins, uh, you know, with health issues, not not really the mobility to be able to go and do it. So that's pretty awesome for that. I think it just continue to keep growing and, and refining and getting better as time goes. Well, and even just, uh, I mean, there's, I hear stories all the time of, oh, yeah, I had to drive four hours in order to get to this test session. And, uh-huh. you know, as, as nice as in-person communication is and as, as much as I want to, to talk to people and have them invite you into the hobby and, you know, all of the reasons that, that in-person tests are, are good, uh, after I've just driven four hours to get somewhere, I have no interest in talking to anyone. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I really think that they'd be better off just doing a remote exam in a lot of those cases. We'll be right back. Don't go away. This is interesting stuff. Get out and be active with ICOM's new IC705 and its optional multifunction backpack. The IC705 is your perfect QRP companion as you have base station features and functionality at the tips of your fingers and a portable package covering HF 6 meters, 2 meters, and 70 centimeters. This compact rig weighs in at 1 kilo or just over 2 pounds, with RF direct sampling for most of the HF band and IF sampling for frequencies above 25 megahertz. 5 watt battery operation with BP272 or 10 watts with a 13.8 volt DC supply. Modes include single sideband, CW, AM, FM, as well as full D-Star functions, a large 4.3-inch color touchscreen, and live band scope with waterfall, integrated GPS with antenna and GPS logger, micro SD card for data storage, it comes standard with the HM243 speaker microphone, and it supports QRP and QRP operations. The perfect accessory for the IC705 is the LC192 optional backpack with a special compartment for your IC705 and room for accessories for soda activations or just a day in the park. Visit icomamerica.com amateur for more information about this and all the great ICOM radios. Well, we've been talking with Richard Bateman here from hamstudy.org and he has given us some really interesting information tonight on remote ham exams and what the current state of that looks like and, you know, maybe where it's headed in the future. I know this has been uh, really, well, as you said, it's been done before, but nothing on a scale like, you know, like, like's coming on here. And I think it's a great service uh, that the VEs can offer out there and, uh, I appreciate you and crew helping, you know, kind of, kind of get this together and make it a little more manageable, a little, um, a little less complicated to pull off. And I'm going to let Tommy ask you a few more questions there. And I'm going to look in the chat room, and if anyone's got a question in there they uh, they would like to ask, uh, now would be a good time to ask it, and I'll gather those together. And we'll be back with those in just a moment. But, uh, Tommy, what, what have you got next, there that was on your mind? Yeah, well, we, we kind of touched base a little bit on it um, and a little bit before the show actually started. Um, but I'm curious about, like, cheating. How? What are the mechanisms to keep from cheating? You mentioned the, the camera. Um, so they are they supposed to just, like, spin the computer around so you can see the whole room or how does that 
What more of the details about how you would keep people from cheating? I hope I'm hoping that's not a big problem. I wouldn't think it would be, but I'm sure that it happens probably on occasion. I would hope rare occasion. So to start out with, um, I mean that was probably the most discussed item at the beginning. Is uh, you know because there's there's long been this uh, this perception that there's no possible way and it would just be way too easy to cheat on doing any kind of remote thing. To be honest, even I was kind of thinking that, you know, initially when we started the conversation, I, I kind of started the, my response with, well, I mean, I've got software that can do the, the administration, but I don't know how you're going to ensure integrity. And we got talking and the more we talked, the more I realized that it, it's not necessarily the level of problem that a lot of times we think it is. And part of the reason for that is that you have to stop with start with the basic premise that it is never possible to entirely prevent cheating. Uh, in any exam session, whether it's in person or online, if somebody is sufficiently determined and sufficiently clever, they can find a way to cheat on the exam. I mean, that's just just plain and simple. It's, it's social engineering. Um, I mean, it's there's there's always going to be a way. So once you accept that, which I think any kind of rational thinking person is going to have to, the question becomes, where is the line? What do we need to do? What, what do we have a responsibility to do? Um, and, uh, and so the line that we came up with is basically that our job is to make it difficult enough to cheat, that we're going to keep honest people honest, and that in general... Uh, somebody who is sufficiently capable of cheating would not need to do so <laughs> because if they can if they can do if they have the the technical expertise they'd need to defeat the system uh, it's probably going to be easier for them to just study for the exam and, and take the test right. um, and so the the basic process is to start out with you know like I said it's so it's a controlled area uh, your desk needs to be much cleaner than mine is. Um, and then depending on your computer, for example, I can, I can take my camera and I can look around the, the room and, and we would look at, at a desk like this and we would say, that is way too cluttered. You cannot do that. You need to have a clear table. Um, you know, but you'd look around and you'd say, okay, that door needs to be closed. The whiteboard needs to not have anything on it. Um, you make sure that you can see the front of the computer, um, so that you know that there's nothing stuck on it. Now, in many cases, people may not have a webcam like this that you can pick up and move around. Uh, and so basically we haven't, um, uh, we've provided suggestions on how to do that, but, uh, we didn't feel like the process needed to mandate anything. So basically the requirement is that the VEs are able to see a 360 degree view of the room so that they know that there's no cheating materials on the walls, on the table, um, there can't be anything nearby electronic that they'd be able to use. Uh, they can't have headphones on, et cetera. Um, and we need to be able to see the front of the computer. So if you're using a laptop camera, then you may need to use something else. For example, you could take your cell phone and put your cell phone in selfie mode and then just hold that up to the, you know, to, to the uh, computer and use it basically like a mirror. Or you could actually use a mirror. Um, but there just has to be some way that you have of showing the whole area. Um, and you could probably also connect to the Zoom session with a cell phone camera or something like that. Uh, somebody in the chat mentioned that. Um, 
as long as as long as we can see well enough to tell that this isn't a recording, you're actually responding to stimuli, um, and, and that we can we can observe that it is a controlled area. Once you've established that the area is controlled, um, then it's it's really pretty safe because once we have you know we're we're observing your computer, you can only have one uh, one monitor connected. We can see the entire desktop. We can tell if you're doing anything else. Honestly, even you can really tell what they're reading and you can see what they're doing. And as they're answering questions, um, I mean, if they kept looking down at a card, even trying to do it surreptitiously, you'd be able to see it. Um, And, you know, you only have to to watch one or two of these to really get a very strong feel for. Yeah, I could tell if this person was cheating, if they were doing something else. Yeah. it's really, it seems when you're just thinking about it, it seems like it would be a lot harder than that. But when you actually do it, um, you know, every person that I know who's actually observed the process, uh, and that includes multiple, you know, heads of multiple VECs. I know, uh, Maria and Larry have both been on, on at least one multiple probably. Um, and they've all said, yeah, I, I can't see any, any easy way that anybody could cheat. Is there a way? Yes, I'm sure there is. Um, but uh, but it's not going to be simple. It's not going to be straightforward, and it's generally not going to be worth the trouble. That's and true. there'd be a high likelihood of getting caught in most of those cases. In, yeah. in really anything that I can think of. Yeah, like you say, uh, I've I've been to enough regular sessions. Where I'm, like I said, George and I are VEs as well, and usually at the Hamfest, we we at least try to work that one, if not some other ones through the year. But you can tell if anybody's really got their head down and, and working on their on their test. Um, the other question I had was, you mentioned that that session with so many people took took a long time. But but like for the individual, if I wanted to come upgrade my license or get my or my tech ticket, what what am I looking at time wise? Uh, usually it's like twenty to thirty minutes. Uh, there's no time limit, but average is twenty to thirty minutes. Somebody's doing. I'm assuming there's maybe another maybe 15 or 20 minutes of prep with the uh, video conference and so forth and getting logged in maybe. So looking at possibly an hour-ish. You know, for the to be honest, I, I haven't been closely enough involved in enough of the exam sessions to, uh, to feel like I can, I can really give a, a definitive answer on that. Uh, if you join that Discord, that's it's uh, the Discord server specifically for volunteer examiners, and uh, and it is kind of we've got a, a gateway. You know, there's there's a gatekeeper on it, so uh, you have to kind of verify that you are actually a VE or have other specific reason to want to monitor. Like if you guys wanted to to join, we'd let you in as an observer uh, since you have reasons to be informed on what's going on. Um, there is a uh, there's a write up on how they've used Zoom, and I suspect some of that information could be found uh, in that. Um, I would guess that the biggest challenge is just going to be around the scheduling, um, and that has been one of the hardest things because when you're doing trying to to process through so many applicants, and your exam session lasts ten to twelve hours you don't want to make people have to wait the whole time. Uh, But at the same time, sometimes you have somebody who just doesn't show up. Uh, Mm -hmm. And if they don't show up, then you want to be able to process somebody else. Well, that doesn't work unless they're actually around. Uh, And so I I, I think uh, it kind of depends. It depends on the group. 
Um, I would guess that the timing is probably very similar. It might even be shorter um, okay. if you've already got, you know, than an in-person test. Uh, if you're able to schedule it, uh, if you're there on time and, and they're not running behind and, um, you know, but like as far as the actual process, like once you start, uh, if you've already got your video conferencing set up and, you, and, you know, you've got Zoom already working, you know what you're doing, uh, it's really not a big problem. And most people actually test faster on a computer than they do on paper. And, of course, grading is just like that. I mean, it's we hit a button, we type in a word, and it tells you if you passed or failed. And then most of the paperwork is all just taken care of digitally. So the, uh, you know, the 605 form would be sent for signature. Some of them are doing it before. Some of them are doing it after the exam. Um, and that's kind of the only other thing, but that can be kind of taken offline, uh, out of band from the actual exam process. So there's a lot of things kind of up, up in the air. Once, once things are more stable, once I've finished the improvements that I've been working on, a lot of that is going to be cleaner, uh, because like you will sign as part of the process. Like after you complete your exam, if you passed, you'll say, okay, click here to sign. Then you'll sign a little thing with your mouse or I don't know, I may have decided what eventual improvements to that I'll I'll make, but that's probably where I'll start. Uh, And then the VEs will basically do the same thing where they'll just use a password to sign digitally. And then the 605 can just be generated uh, on the fly from the data. And we'll probably do it in in a way that it can be secured so that we know, so we can kind of retain, uh, retain a, a cryptographic certainty that those documents have not been modified since the session uh, was completed, mm-hmm. or that if they were, we have a record of what happened. Um, and so that's kind of the other half of that is, uh, is this actually gives much more uh, increases the integrity on the paperwork side. Uh, you know, the CSCE forms that we will eventually generate uh, are going to have a way of verifying them that you can actually look up the information and see, yes, this is the name on that form, and this is the license element they got. Uh, and so you, you know that it's not forged, that it's actually a real CSCE. You know, things like that that, that are going to be very easy to tie into it. Uh, it's just going to be a question of getting to it. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, it's very interesting. I was just curious if it was going to be like an all-day. I know you said some of it took a, took a good while. I was just kind of curious about that. And I'm sure things will smooth out as team. they go farther. Uh, George, did you have any questions from the chat room? That's well, pretty much what I had. Um, Mike wants to know, VE3MIC wants to know, is a photo ID required? It's a good question. That depends on the VEC. Um, the, uh, the requirement from Part 97... And I should remember the specific reference, but I don't right now. Um, but it's something along the lines that uh, that we are required to verify your identification. And some VECs interpret that as you need two forms of photo ID. And some of them just say, well, you need some kind of verification. Um, I mean, the exam team that I work with normally, we generally require at least one type of government-issued photo ID. But then we make exceptions to that for minors who don't have driver's license. Um, and so we'll, we'll accept other forms of identification. Um, the, the actual part 97 rules are very vague on exactly what they need for that. And so the, um, yeah, so it it just, it, 
it just depends on the the VEC that the VE team you're working with is is working with. And um, another question came from John KC7DRI. He says he keeps hearing about looking away. He wants to know what about scratch paper and calculators uh, that you know you'd normally be allowed in person. Are those those okay? Um, well, again, it's going to depend uh, a little bit on the VE team, but uh, I believe the recommendations, which I should probably actually read one of these days, uh, ba- but based on conversations that I've had and input that I have provided uh, and on any session that I run, as long as you have you know, kind of shown the, the paper ahead of time that we know that it's blank, then the scratch paper is just fine. Uh, calculator is going to be somewhat trickier. Um, I probably would not allow anybody to use a calculator that that needed to have memory cleared before it could be used Um, because it's just too hard to verify that online. Uh, Eventually I'll probably just write a calculator into the testing software. So that if you need a calculator, you hit a button and it pops up Um, with the tests, the two, the two tests, remote test sessions that I've run personally. um, I've been trying to stay out of that so I can focus on software but uh, on both of those, when they needed a calculator, I just suggested they use Windows Calc um, because it's there. It has all of the functions that they need, and I can see exactly what they're doing. So I know that they didn't program it. Yeah. Um, so, but but that's uh, that's going to be left mostly up to the VE teams, um, uh, kind of their discretion. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, uh, so much of this, it it all comes down to how the the VE team wants to handle it sounds like there are some things which are are sort of universal that they're sort of it's like well you know there are fcc regulations and generally accepted goals that these things need to these problems need to be solved and these goals need to be accomplished and uh for the most part we've tried to limit the kind of the procedures to solving those problems but around those problems there's a lot of things that are still left to uh you know, well, if you're if you're testing with AWRL, you're going to have these requirements. If you're testing with W5YI, it'll be this. Uh, identification is actually one of the bigger ones on that. Um, so, I mean, there there are certainly are some things that get standardized by exam tools, since that's the software we're using right now. Uh, but even that, I mean, I would like to think that I can write software that's going to be as good as anything anybody else is going to write. Uh, but if somebody else were to come up with other exam software that people liked better, uh, there's no reason that the policies and the procedures that we're writing should lock them into my things. Um, I mean, the, our, our goal here is to bring people into the hobby, not to, uh, you know, not to, to make exam tools the most popular thing on the Internet. Um, and as long as we are improving that, I, I, consider, I consider my goal to be to improving kind of how all of the license examination stuff works. You know, similar to, to with HAM study, my, my big goal with that has always been to provide better tools, to improve tools so people can study more effectively using, you know, technology that we have available. And so even just the fact that the other sites that may not do as much as HAM study have all had to kind of step up their game a little bit and, and come up with better, uh, better tools to a certain extent, I see that as a big win for me. Because even if they're not using my software, that's really what the goal was. Um, and exam tools is the same way. I mean, some things are going to be standardized in the software, uh, but wherever possible, I try to leave things 
so that they can be adapted at least to a certain extent to the, the procedures of the exam team. But sometimes that's possible, sometimes it's not. And where it's not, the goal is always to, to provide something that will work. Yeah. Makes sense. And one other question. This is from Emil. I think he's uh, KE5QKR. I, I think he's trying to cause trouble. But uh, anyway. <laughs> Not Emil. He, he I, I never have to talk to people like that who, who, who like to cause trouble. <laughs> he wants to know, um, what can you wear, you know, like headphones with a microphone on them? <laughs> You know, that is a discussion that we've had, and the general consensus, and I think this is a specific recommendation, is that we say no. Um, You need to find a place where you can be where you do not need that. Um, I'm using Apple AirPods Pro for this because I I wanted to have a microphone that could pick me up well. Um, But if I were the one taking a test, there's just no way for uh, for the VEs to be sure that there's not some way that you're getting answers that way, you know? So uh, just said, there comes a point where you just have to say, you know what, we're going to inconvenience people and there's going to be a line that we'll draw that we're not going to go too ridiculous, but, uh, but that one is on the, the no go side of, of the line that we've, that, that, that people involved with my group so far have drawn. Um, I mean, at the same time, there's obviously nothing in the software which enforces that. So that is subject to, uh, to, to VE team and VEC um, modification. But my recommendation would be no. And, and that in the, in the process documents that we have is, is that no headphones with or without a mic. And mics, yes. Um I mean, I don't know how anyone would see what they're, seeing on the screen to know to tell them a b c or d but yeah i could you know i could see a potential that something you can't monitor could go on you know and that's yeah well i mean there's there are ways that you could share somebody's screen and i mean if it comes down to that i'm certain that there is software that you could find a way to put it on that would make it possible for somebody to uh to even take the test for you while you're watching that would be difficult for somebody in zoom to tell but here's the thing is that if they have to do it, then there's a very good chance that the person monitoring is, is going to see that the answers keep changing and the person taking the test is not the one doing it. Like it's, it's actually pretty visible what they're doing. I mean, I'm, I'm sure if you worked at it hard enough, but there'd be a good chance that you'd get caught. Um, and, and that's a problem that we're working on trying to find ways to, to maybe detect and, and we'll continue to, to do some more later. There, there are a lot of things that we haven't yet done that we could. Um, but if somebody can talk in your ear, that would be a whole lot harder to, de- to detect. You know, there, there would be ways of remotely monitoring the screen. And I mean, I, it's just a, it, it would be too easy. I think, um, my experience with, uh, with, people take you know take giving exams and i i have had somebody cheat on an exam that i gave and uh what we found as we looked back at how that happened is that we set up too many things where it felt easy to him he probably was a generally honest person but a lot of people who are generally honest will still take a shortcut if they feel like there's no chance of getting caught uh and it would be easy um and so again it's kind of a question of just making it difficult enough to do that that they're not going to do it 
Yeah. And, Keeping honest people honest. And something else that, that I happen to think of that I don't know that we'll know this early because there just is not enough of this that has happened yet. But I wonder how people are, are scoring on their exams. Are they more comfortable sitting at home, you know, taking the exam right there online? Or, or is it about the same? You know, I, I don't have any specific statistics on that. Um, I've done a possibly unhealthy amount of analysis on testing data over the years. Um, last year, I actually, uh, I, taking a, a machine learning class, and I actually wrote a neural network to analyze ham study, uh, study history. Um, you know, it's not personalized, it's totally anonymized. I don't really collect enough information about anybody to, to, to do much with it that way anyway. But just I was trying to see if there was a way that I could, based on your past study history, you know, that I've seen on flashcards, can I predict how your, your exam will do? Um, and I was able to eventually come up with a way to get a 1% improvement over just guessing uh, on whether they would answer a question correctly based on and analyzing all of that data. What it kind of comes down to is that there's just so many factors going into all of that that there's not really any way of drawing definitive uh, conclusions about the data. Um, for example, one of the big things is uh, that, that will impact that right now is that most of the VE teams are very, very strongly saying please do not sign up unless you are certain you are going to pass. Uh, in fact, a few of them are, uh, and this is not my, I did not put them up to this. In fact, I told them I wasn't sure I was comfortable with it, but they are actually requiring people to show them their a screenshot from their hamstudy.org study history, showing the, <laughs> the aptitude graph um, to show that, to, and they won't, that like they wouldn't let them sign up for the session unless they could show them study enough study history that they felt comfortable that yes, you really you know have studied enough and you're ready. And it's like if you don't have that, well, go take ten practice exams and 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 if you can show me that history when you're done, then then we'll let you in. So I mean, a lot of them there's just a real focus on since this does take so much time, let's not waste any of the time. Um, and so the pass rate has been pretty high. Uh, because, but whether that's because people are more comfortable or just because the people who aren't ready, who might've tried otherwise, uh, didn't try is more than I can say. Yeah. And I think you brought up a good point there that this, this takes a lot of effort from the VE teams and they just don't want random people dropping in who haven't studied and are not ready to take the test because it's a lot of their time. Yeah. It's, it seems like, it might be a little bit more uh, effort on their part to do it this way um, than than to do it the old paper way, at least at first, until they get the hang of it. Well, you got it. Yeah, I'm honestly even once uh, even once everything is uh, is kind of at the at the ultimate point. I mean, if, if everything that I have conceived of that I think is possible to build, if all of those software improvements are, are done and we have, you know, the, the video conferencing is all built in and we have all of the control I want and you can monitor maybe up to nine applicants at a time with three VEs, which I think is 
is probably the upper limit of what's reasonably possible, and that even that would require a lot. Even if you had all of that, and uh, and, and it's it's still not going to be as fast as doing in person because in person you start twenty people at a time. Um, you know, even with uh, with our session, we have maybe a limited number of computers because we normally use computerized exams. But if we run out of those and people don't want to wait, we just hand out papers and use the the grade cam integration and, and scan the bubble sheet. You know, so you can always scale up with in-person exams, but there's just that hard limit where you need more VEs and the process just continues to get, uh, after a point, exponentially more complicated as you try to add more people in it. Um, and so, I mean, there's just, there's always going to be a point where, uh, unless they change the regulations on what is required for monitoring, uh, that it's just not going to be as efficient. It's not going to be as fast. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and that's okay. It, it's filling the niche yeah. need that we need right now. And, and most of us that went ahead and got our VE credentials or didn't do it for fame or fortune. We did it because we want to help bring people into the hobby. And if it takes exactly. a little bit more time, then that's okay. Yeah. Well, Richard. And we- I, I, I really have to, sorry, just I have to give a shout out to uh, uh, Naomi and Norm Goodkin of Glarg. Um, those two and their family have, they're the ones who, who, uh, spearheaded that session I was telling you about. They have been spending like 12 hour days just testing. Um, I think they've probably, they've gone through hundreds of applicants in the last, in the last few weeks, uh, more than anybody else has. Wow. So, I mean, that's, you're talking about kind of a labor of love. That's, that's what they have of, been doing. <laughs> a lot of effort. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Are you new to the ham world or an existing amateur operator who wants to take your license to the next level? Study for your radio license exam at hamstudy.org. Hamstudy.org is a free online learning tool powered by ICOM. It was created by Richard Bateman, KD7BBC, Michael Stuffelbean, KV9G, and Rich Porter, KK6GKE, And it uses a modern web design to enhance the experience of studying for your technician, general, and amateur extra exams. Since 2013, hamstudy.org has helped new and existing hams to familiarize themselves with the question pools, use stats-based flashcards to focus on material they need to learn, and take practice exams to gauge progress. Visit hamstudy.org on your desktop computer or mobile device. Register for a free account at hamstudy.org to access personalized study history and other site features. Prepare for an exam in an intuitive and comprehensive manner. Check out hamstudy.org powered by ICOM for free learning tools. Good luck on your next exam. Richard, we really appreciate you coming on and doing this tonight. I know it was... Uh, sort of spur of the moment, Tommy contacted you earlier today, and and uh, and I, I know you don't have time to do a lot of interviews and stuff like that. You need to. You've got a two month old baby there, so uh, your wife's not going to let you play ham radio forever. You're going to have to spend some. You know, you know. She, she's been licensed longer than I have, believe oh. it or not. Oh, yeah. But. Uh, yeah. But I do I, I do want to see my wife and kids again, uh, so I really do want to get the software finished. 
at least this yeah. next main version so I don't feel like everybody in the nation is waiting on me. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, well, we appreciate your efforts and uh, and everything you guys have done for for Ham Radio for the hobby, hamstudy.org and the exam tools and this uh, last effort here. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, thanks. Well, thank you guys. Yeah. Appreciate and, inviting me on. I, I have been trying to avoid these, but uh, it's good to, to just get some information out there. So hopefully this will help yeah. clear up some of the yeah. confusion that there's yeah. been. All right. We ran a little bit over the 10 to 10 minutes, so I appreciate you hanging with us, too, on that. Yeah. Can you give us a link where, you know, people can go to learn more about this? Uh, blog.hamstudy.org. Um, we may post some other some other things soon, but it should be it should be easy to find the, uh, the the post that we did about a week ago. It was kind of done as a press release, so it is heavy on kind of marketing terms, but there are links to the manuals in there. And at the top, there's uh, information on how to get started with exam tools. Uh, we have kind of a sandbox environment that you can sign up. It's, you know, it's a full copy of Ham Study, but with a totally different database. So that when you accidentally post your uh, your session, uh, you don't have everybody signing up for it because it's not on the live site. Um, and uh, and the people in the Discord can help you with that. They can answer all of your questions. Uh, please don't email me about it. Please don't contact me about it. I'm, I'm working on other stuff. Uh, if you are actually with a VEC that would like to work with us, then please do contact me. I would like to, to have you on board. But uh, if you're if you're wanting to take the test, hamstudy.org slash sessions or hamstudy.org and click find a session. If you're wanting to join as a VE, uh, blog.hamstudy.org and, uh, and and join the Discord group. And they can help you with all of the they – know, they know all of this stuff probably better than I do uh, for the most part. Um, and I, I monitor there too. So yeah. happy to have you. That, that is great. Cool. Yeah, we were looking at that earlier today. And that's uh, that really will answer most questions people are going to have right there from from what I saw. Well, once again, thanks. Thanks so much for doing this. And we won't see you at Hamvention this year, but uh, I don't know, maybe next year. We'll see. Well, I, I I told them to keep my uh, my entrance fee until next year, and uh, and my flights were refunded with flight credits. So I'm going to have to go somewhere. Yep. <laughs> well, there you go. Yep. Same situation. So hope well, to see you there next year. All right. Yeah. Well, we should. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks for having me. Seven three. All right. Seven three, Richard. Boy, uh, and you can you can disconnect there. There's Tommy. Um, wow, this did not go where we thought it would, did it, Tommy? I'll, I'll get your picture straightened out there. Uh, That's fine. This was much uh, much more in-depth, much better. I mean, we had only planned 10 minutes. But, boy, after yeah, we got into uh, it, I told Tommy, I said, man, this is more interesting than a bunch of questions. Maybe, maybe <laughs> this is what we should do. Yeah, it yeah, it worked out really great and uh he, he hung with us. I know he's he's got a lot of stuff going on, so anyway, uh he he decided to hang the rest of the time with us and that's great. So we got a lot more things answered than the, the few I had prepared here, so that's that's even better. Yeah. And if if you've watched this and your friends are talking about the remote testing and got questions, well, 
tell them to come watch this episode. This was very informative. And, you know, things are subject to change because this is still so new and and almost groundbreaking stuff that uh, I guess things could change. But it is a great effort on the part of the VEs who do this. It's it. I'm sure it takes longer per exam to do than mm-hmm. than having, you know, 20 or 30 people in a room and testing them all at once. It's, uh, oh yeah, much much. More yeah, fun. I'm sure it does. But again, like I mentioned, nobody's you know everybody's doing it because they care about the hobby and they want to want to bring new hams in and help them. And and so I I know personally I wouldn't mind if, you know a few extra minutes to to get that done. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, so we're just going to skip these questions I had tonight. Because it's, oh, so you guys got off easy in the chat room. No pop quiz tonight. None tonight. I know I had promised that we would have questions, but um, we'll hold them for you for the next episode. Um, I, I think I think everyone was thoroughly enjoying this. And let's see. Oh, oh one thing we did not do earlier that maybe we should do right now because... I've got sitting right here, right in front of me, an ICOM ball cap and an ICOM ham crew t-shirt. Well, that's quite convenient. That is very convenient. Why don't, it says it's right there. Why don't we give it away? Well, I think we will. And, you know, I just happened to check the address, ham college at amateurlogic.tv today. And, oh, this is the backside. You know, I couldn't really tell. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's because you'll look just as good when you leave the ham fest as you do when you show up. There you go. Well, I drew a winner from the uh, entries that we had in there. And I got one from Todd Farrell, WE5TR. He said, 7-3, thank you. So congratulations, Todd. Well, congratulations. Whenever we do have Ham Fest again, you'll be the best dressed ham there. Yeah. And if you would like to to win, you know, because I think they have more caps and T-shirts, what would they do? Well, they just need to send an email to hamcollege at amateurlogic.tv and get your name in the drawing. If you send it this month or any of the previous months, you'll need to send it again this coming month if you didn't if you didn't win, if your name wasn't Todd. Um, so send it again because we start with a clean slate every month. Yep. Um, get your entry in, and uh, you don't really need anything but a name and an email address. address. If you want to write a little note on there, that's great. We love to read them, um, but it's not required. True. So thanks, ICOM, for sponsoring Ham College. Uh, couldn't do it without you. And, you know, I haven't talked to Ray lately, but I'm going to have to check in with him and and see how he's doing here in the quarantine. I see he posts something online occasionally, so um, I'm sure, you know, just like everyone else, things are strange all over these days. 
Yeah, thanks to ICOM and thanks to hamstudy.org for sponsoring. Both, yeah. And we have not had that hamstudy.org ad yet, so I think I will need to slip that in in editing somewhere. And, hey, that was the guy right there, Richard Bateman, one of the main people with hamstudy.org. We've interviewed him before on Amateur Logic, and we're so proud that he would take out some time to join us tonight and clear up a lot of these questions people are having and just, you know, give us a good general update on where remote testing currently stands. Yeah, and there you have it. That's the whole story, yep. as it is right now. And that's the way it was. <laughs> okay, we did have a um, a number of questions tonight that, well, we'll just have to ask you these next time. You got off easy tonight. but Well, we spared the buzzer, that's for sure. That is for sure. Yeah, there were, I think, you know, when I was asking for questions in the chat room over there, they were hesitant. Well, I, I know we had at least one uh, one person. I don't remember who it was. Now wrote that uh, they were scared of the buzzer, so they were they were scared to, to <laughs> ask questions. But anyway, Tommy, what do you say we get together around? Um, oh, I don't know the middle of the month and do an amateur logic TV. Yeah, why don't, why don't we invite Emil and, and Mike? Too, that that would be a good idea. Yeah, that'd be pretty awesome. We'll mm-hmm. all get together and do do another one. How about that? Works for me. So, yeah. Anything else but you got for tonight? No, uh, no. It would turn out to really be a really good interview. Got a lot of good uh, information from that, so I'm glad it turned out to the way it did. A little bit longer than we anticipated, so worked out perfect. Yeah. Okay, and, and once again, uh, Richard mentioned it, but uh, don't email him or try to, you know, use his time right now to to ask questions. Go to where he mentioned there. Was it uh, blog.hamstudy.org? Was it blog or blogspot? Blog.hamstudy.org. That's right. Okay. All right, well... We really appreciate him being here and doing that this time around. And uh, just a couple of things, maybe. Well, I don't know. We'll we'll just mention them. I won't show the lower thirds here. But if you want to catch up with us during the month, where would you do that? Well, we usually hang out. Uh, I can't see the lower thirds, so but I uh, know we got hang out at the Facebook group and. Uh, We've also we're also on Twitter at Amateur Logic and at Ham College, and where else? Groups.io. It's uh, Groups.io/g/slash/AmateurLogic. So. Yep, and that's it. And no more Google Plus. So. Yep. I kind of miss Google Plus. Yeah, I do sometimes, but um, I well, I guess. That's going to do it from here. I don't have anything else to add to tonight's show. It's just, um, it, it's much further along than I thought it was. I'll just put it that way. What? 
Remote testing. Oh, remote testing? Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm like got a big disconnect going because all I can see is a still image coming back to me. It hadn't been that oh. way the whole time, has it? No. Okay. No, just when Richard left, it got like that. Oh. But I still see the probably the last frame of that. Yeah, well, maybe it'll change with the next version tomorrow. Okay. Well, I know you'll be glad when all this lockdown stuff is is gone and you can start doing the nightclub shows again with the singing <laughs> and all. So. Yeah, I'll have to get out of the hot tub then. <laughs> yeah, probably so. All right, so um, we'll see you at the end of next month, the end of this month now. The end of May for the next time, college. In the middle of the month for the next amateur logic. Yeah. 7 3. 7 3, everybody. We'll see you next time. <laughs>